Well, as you hear that song, maybe it makes you nostalgic for Toy Story. <laughs> you know, I think about when I was a kid and hearing that song, like, that's the kind of friend I want. You know, maybe as you hear it, you think of that friend. You know, like I, I think of my friend Carl. You know, who's that person in your life that they've seen you through that kind of stuff? The ups, the downs, the good, the bad, and they just, they're always there for you. But now think about, could you imagine singing that song to God? Or maybe flip it around. Could you imagine God singing that song to you? When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed, you just remember what your old pal God said. Is that okay? I actually remember when I was a kid, uh, my grandpa took me to a concert. And my grandpa was a Christ follower. And so this concert was all Christian music. And one of the songs that they sang is actually this, this classic hymn, one of these like centuries-old songs that people have been singing in churches for all those years. And it was called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. You know, and how we miss out when we don't take everything to him in prayer. And if, if you knew my grandpa, whenever he sang, you know, he had the booming voice, What a friend we have in Jesus. Like, it's like seared in my memory. But I had the same thought. I don't think you can call him that. Because if Jesus is really God, then aren't we supposed to call him like creator or, or all-powerful? It's like a little sacrilegious maybe to call him a friend. And yet, over the last few weeks in this series, we've seen this line from Jesus that when he was talking to the disciples, he actually said to them, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. God, in the flesh, looking around at people and saying, you're my friends. And still, it's hard to picture it, right? Because if there are seven billion people on the planet, like, does Jesus really want to listen to me complaining about my life? Like, is Jesus going to go fishing with people and hang out, grab some lunch, show up at a wedding? Except all of those things I just listed are things that Jesus did when he lived on earth with his friends. And so as we look into what Jesus thinks friendship is like, it's actually in this same conversation, just a few seconds before this, that he gives us this definition for friendship. He said, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now, that's a pretty well-traveled saying, but it actually starts with Jesus. Now, you see it pop up in movies here and there. In fact, the first place that I encountered this quote was uh, Disney's The Jungle Book from 1967. That was, like, that was the movie I watched on repeat as a kid. And, and my heroes as a kid, it was like my dad, Scottie Pippen, and Baloo from The Jungle Book. <laughs> like, I, and it, when he fights Shere Khan at the end and he almost dies and they think he's died and Bagheera the panther says this, wow, that's a show of friendship. So imagine my surprise when I start reading the Bible and it's like, hey, they stole that from Jesus, <laughs> right? And it's a pretty intense picture of friendship, right? Like Jesus just took this way past like, hey, we like the same football team. We could probably be friends. Oh, hey, you went to the same high school as me. That's, we could connect over that. He says, hey, here's the greatest love you'll ever see. Lay down his life for his friends. That's intense. Because even if I think about the friends that I have and I thought, yeah, I'd be willing to, 
I've never really had the opportunity. Right? That doesn't come up a lot. And so it, it helped me a little bit because I realized I often think that the Bible is like has potential to be out of touch, right? Because this, even the newest stuff in here, it was written 2,000 years ago. But the more you dig into it, you realize it speaks exactly to our culture because the problems humans have have always been the same. In fact, there was a Roman philosopher living in Jesus' day named Seneca. He was born within a few years of when Jesus was born, and he died about a couple decades after Jesus died and rose again. So this is literally a contemporary of Jesus, and and look at how he described the problem they were having with friendship in the Roman Empire. These are these so-called fair-weather friendships. One who is chosen for the sake of utility will be satisfactory only so long as he is useful. Hence, prosperous men are blockaded by troops of friends. Like, who would have thought that the fair-weather friend, that term was coined 2,000 years ago, and we still deal with that today. That so many of our acquaintances, hey, we're in it as long as it's easy and fun and you can help me out and I can help you out. You know, the more successful you are, sometimes you find yourself looking around and wondering, do they like me? Or are they hoping for a big bonus this year? (laughs) Right? And that our, our relationships become shallower and shallower instead of deeper and deeper. And so Jesus is giving us a different picture of how to solve this problem. Essentially what he's saying is start friendship with an others first mentality. So when he says that he's willing to lay down his life, we'll see a picture of what that means for Jesus. But if we're going to model that, it just starts with like, am I willing to give up my preferences and my comfort for someone else's needs? For someone else's preferences? That's a lot harder to do than it sounds. Like, the good part of me when I'm sitting and thinking by myself is like, I would certainly do that. I would do that for my wife, for my children, for my friends. But in the moment, the most natural thing in the world, and not, not even to be cynical, but the most natural thing in the world is to think about my needs, right? Like, I have no idea how many of you are hungry right now, but I'll know if I'm hungry. I have no idea how many of you are thirsty, but I'll know if I'm thirsty. So, so the most natural thing is I'm thinking about myself, my preferences, my needs, how I hope things go. Can I actively set that aside? And have the mentality of, what do other people need? What would it look like if I gave up some part of my own comfort for them? And so a story that I heard recently that really has clicked for me, and I've been practicing this now for, I think about three weeks since I heard this interview. There's a writer for the New York Times. He's also written for the Atlantic and a bunch of different things. Gets interviewed on TV all the time. uh, Named David Brooks. And in 2013, David went through a pretty painful divorce. So his career had been very successful, his family had been successful, but now he was feeling hurt, he was feeling that loss, and he was feeling alone. And so it kind of sent him on this, this new journey, sort of in the middle of his life, trying to look at himself and say, how do I deal with my loneliness, and how do I deal with the fact that I'm realizing I'm not good at connecting with people? And so what he started doing was he, he started exploring what would make that different. And what he found was that when he met new people, the easiest way to connect was just to ask questions. Okay, well, that's not that complicated. Well, but what questions? Because <laughs> to be honest with you guys, like I, I grew up, and I, I still am, shy and introverted. And when you put those two things together, meet a new person and ask them questions can sound about as awkward as it gets, Right? But David says that one of the things that he learned is it's okay to be awkward. He never died from being awkward. 
yeah, it might feel a little bit awkward, but then you get to know somebody. And so he would just ask them questions like, hey, so how did you get your name? You know, hi, I'm David. Hi, I'm Stephanie. Well, hey, Stephanie, t- tell me about your name. Where'd you get that name? Hey, what's, what's one of your favorite unimportant things about yourself? You know, just to get people talking and telling their story. Because what he found out was that people wanted not just to be seen, but to really be heard and to be known. And so as he went on this journey, he said that one of the things that marked for him how much he didn't even realize he had changed as a person was that he's been interviewed twice by Oprah before this and after this. And so the second time that Oprah interviewed him, she, she went to him backstage and said, David, I've never seen one person change so much this late in their life. Like, what happened? And so he told her about this journey of trying to learn to connect with people. And then he also told her that when he was a kid, he grew up in a Jewish household attending a Catholic school. And so he said, it was pretty interesting for me. I got to hear the Jewish story and the Catholic story, which didn't really matter to me too much because I was an atheist. So everyone could just tell their stories. And so he, he carried that through his life. He said he always just believed that people were a, a collection of cells, cells just a, a lump of matter trying to get through the day. But as he began to connect with people, to hear their stories, to really understand them and to build friendships, he found himself standing in Penn Station one day and looking at people whose lives looked like they were the best they could be and lives who looked like they were as bad as they could be and realizing he cared about them. That these were not just a collection of cells. These people had souls. For him, that started a journey of, well, if they have souls, where did those souls come from? And coming to believe in God. And then, just like the way he connected with people, he started asking questions. Well, who is that God? What is he like? Could it be the God of the Bible? What if it is? What if Jesus really is God? And what I found so fascinating about that was that he said, as he was asking those questions, there was a day where he was riding on the train, looking out the window, and just kind of realized, no lightning bolt, no huge moment, just kind of realized he'd shifted from unbelief to belief, that there was a God, that he cared about David. And so he has become a Christ follower. And, And what he said was that the day he became a Christ follower, he did not stop asking questions. Because he just learned too much that asking questions is how he gets to know people. He said, then that's how I'm going to get to know God too. So rather than thinking he had to have all his questions answered and then believe, he realized, I think I do believe. So now I get to keep asking questions, not only as I get to know people better, but as I get to know God better. And so as I look at a conversation like this that Jesus is having, those are the kinds of questions I want to ask. So let's go back to that, that statement from Jesus. right? If this is God in the flesh, living as a human. He's the only one who needs nothing and yet is offering us everything. And this conversation that they're having, when he says greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends, this is actually just a few hours before Jesus will be arrested and crucified. So what would it take to be Jesus' friend like to have the God of the universe lay down his life for you. Well, well, let me show you the next line. He says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. See, I knew it. I knew if I hung around Horizon long enough, I knew if I read the Bible long enough, peace, love, and joy was going to go out the, min- the window and it was going to come back to rules and commands, right? Like, isn't this the bummer part? Well, hold on a second. 
You see, too often we get this picture of the Bible as if it's a rule book. Like, I'm going to open it up, and there's the Ten Commandments on one page, and then there's the Ten Commandments again, and there they are again, and there they are again. You see, the picture that Jesus gives of the commandments is that everything God has commanded is built around the idea of helping us love God and love other people. That we can be so selfish that it's just not clear to us the best way to actually live. And so Jesus' commands are all built around that idea of love. In fact, in this same conversation, let me show you the line right before this. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So think about what this means, okay? If, let's say you and your spouse, or you and one of your closest friends, you decide to follow Jesus... And then supposedly that means that there's things Jesus wants to teach you to do in your life. Well, that means God is actually commanding my wife to love me, even when I'm a jerk. Hey, that's, that's actually not, I kind of like that. This is actually one of my favorite things about Jesus. Like as I've gotten to know him better, there are places where you can feel like, oh man, I let him down again, I let him down again. But you see how he's constantly coming back to love and how that's his main commandment for us. In fact, in this conversation, if you pull up the book of John and you read chapters like 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, it's all one long conversation, and he just keeps saying, hey, love each other, love each other, love each other. Now, that's not an excuse to go be a jerk all the time. <laughs> but the picture there is that when we need forgiveness, but we don't really deserve it, Hey, I want you guys to forgive each other. And you see all over the New Testament, this one another language. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Love one another. Hey, correct one another when we need to. That's part of being loving, right? When we need to speak truth. And so really what he's telling us is to build friendship on one another intentionality. You see, because if, if it only goes one way, I, I can still be loving but for that to become a relationship, it becomes one another. And that word love can be tricky for us sometimes because the New Testament actually has like four different words that can be translated love. And we probably get that, but we just always use love, right? Like, I love my wife. I love my dog. Those aren't probably the same, but... And I, and I love buffalo chicken dip. Like, that's what we're having for the big game tonight. I love that stuff. Which is probably different than my dog and definitely different than my wife, right? We have all these different ways we use it. Well, the word Jesus is using is the word agape. It's a Greek word. But the idea of this love is that it becomes self-sacrificing. That it is an action. That it's not just I love it because it makes me feel good like my dog or the chicken dip. But it's that I am willing to give up something on your behalf. To intentionally love one another. And that's the kind of friendship that Jesus is calling us to. Right? That's the kind of friendship that he's inviting us to. That it's not just a picture of God off in the distance somewhere while we try our best to keep the rules. But that he's saying, hey, I want to invite you into this kind of relationship. And so I wanted to share a story with you, an interview with a couple of friends of mine who experienced that kind of friendship building right here at Horizon. Because that's really the reason that we create all of these environments. When we do men's groups, when we do women's studies, when we have serving events. Like there's a lot that goes into that. But it's meant to be so much more than just a Bible class. It's meant to be an environment where you can begin to connect with God. But also connect with other people. 
And so I was going to interview them live here on the stage, uh, but we're going to watch it on video, and you'll probably pick up a hint in there as to why it's not live today. So let's watch. Well, we are sitting here with my friends Joe and Colin, and as we've been celebrating friendship, I thought it would be fun, you guys, just to, to share with each other a little bit, but also with our friends who are watching today, some of what the journey has been like for you guys and how this friendship kind of formed. Uh, because what sounds a little strange to me saying it now, but we actually got to be friends through a group study here with other guys at Horizon. So I'm curious, you know, how, how'd you get in there in the first place? Why was that something that you were kind of open to? I, I was invited to join the study that uh, you put together for the men's group that we're still a part of. And I had a lot of questions. I was very kind of curious about what this was going to be like. And it didn't take long before I knew exactly why I was there. And I was excited to be there. Um, my questions got deeper and more sincere than surface level, which they were before this group. And the rest is history. But we've really enjoyed building friendships in the group with other guys. Yeah, well, and, and you were telling me that more than just like, taking a class to learn some stuff about the Bible or whatever. It was really guys like Joe that you felt like, hey, going through this with somebody else, hearing the way they're thinking about it, you know, really helped you. So, so what, what was that piece? We all just started asking deep questions and having really deep, meaningful conversations. And friendship was a byproduct of that pretty quickly. Yeah, that's, that's one of those things that, like, you, you kind of cut to the chase pretty quickly on a friendship with another guy when they're willing to kind of show you who they really are. And so, Joe, I wonder if you'd be willing to just share a little bit of that with us even right now. Yeah, I, I think what Colin's talking about is being willing in a group of guys in particular to be vulnerable. And when we got together, it was February 2019, starting uh, studying the book of Luke. Uh, I had never really done a Bible study, hadn't really cracked the book, to be honest. Uh, I remember but, I remember seeing that Bible with like the silver gilded pages yeah. that you could tell they'd never been peeled apart. Yeah. You, you said, I'm going to read this whole thing eventually. And we're on the way to doing that. Yeah, right the pages on. are a little worn now. But uh, February of 19 is when we started the study. And that just happened to be uh, about a month after we laid my wife to, to rest uh, from breast cancer. Uh, Drew was kind enough to do her service and invited me to, to you know, uh, take a look at this men's group he was uh, putting together to, for the study of Luke. And at that point, uh, my feelings were very um, raw and I was vulnerable and brought that into um, the study uh, with lots of questions and some skepticism and anger and, and pain. And uh, I, I think that willingness to be vulnerable for me uh, which I think you learn as a widower, quite frankly, but then carrying it into a room uh, in starting a, a, the first Bible study you've ever done, I think it was very, very meaningful and helpful to me. And um, uh, I think it, it, it helped in the room as well, just that ability, not my story per se, but the willingness for folks to be vulnerable, particularly men, I think is, is helpful to advancing friendships. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a healthy balance between digging into that tough stuff on a Tuesday night or in one-on-ones for lunch and coffee, but then celebrating the relationships that we've built by going out and serving together in the community, whether it's going to serve dinner at City Gospel Mission or the tradition that our group has started by going and volunteering at the Aruna Run, which Joe's son, Joey, helps rally the troops for. I think what's what's helped in general keep our group together, that sort of stuff, and, and helped me personally get closer to Christ over this five-year period 
is there's no pressure in that room. There's no pressure to, oh, Joe, tell more of your story, or Colin, you know, go through this, that, or the other. It's not a pressured environment, and it's also a very open environment that there's not, there, there's no wrong questions to ask. There's, there's none of that. It's yeah. people just trying to figure it out, and I think as, as he figures it out or you guide us towards something, we all get a little bit closer, and that's, that's what feels good and I think is a fundamental to keeping us together as a group over all these years. One of the things Chad's mentioned in this series is how sometimes friendship starts at the moment where you take the risk to say something and you think it's only you and you don't know how this is going to land. Right. And then somebody else is like, hey, me too. Hey, I, actually, I wasn't going to say anything, but that's what I've been wondering. Yep. And so I think about how, you know, starting like that and now all the stuff that we've shared together and there's been weddings and, and babies and Baby's on the way, or yeah. by the time this airs, maybe a new baby. Here, yeah. You know, uh, baptisms and celebrations and just uh, so many cool things. So, guys, I, I'm really thankful for you just kind of sharing uh, not only here with me and, and with our friends, but just life, just just being friends. You know, I just really appreciate you both. And um, thanks for, for being willing to share with us today. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I love those guys. And there are probably 10 other guys from that group that could be, you know, right up here with us. And honestly, it, it has been amazing to kind of go through that journey together. And um, Joe, we just celebrated this past year, got remarried to his beautiful wife, Sherry, you know, being a part of those things in each other's lives. And you might have picked up for Colin that there was a hint that there was a baby on the way, but she is not on the way anymore uh, because she was born this, this week. I think Thursday, I got the note. So Margo, if you're watching, Welcome to the family. <laughs> uh, so that's why we couldn't do it live today. We didn't think we should make his wife and child be at the hospital while Colin was up here on the stage with us. So uh, just thankful to them for sharing that. And, you know, that's, I, I wanted you guys to see that and hear that because I, I know there was a long season in my life where I avoided, like, any extra stuff at church. Like, I need to go be vulnerable with other guys. Like, who knows what they're going to ask me. And, and I've just really loved at Horizon that it's, it's not scary like that. You know, when you come in the room, if you're ready to share, you share. If you're not, you don't. But we get to ask great questions together and really build those kinds of friendships. And so I'd encourage you, if that's, if that's something that you're interested in, uh, that's why we create those kinds of environments. And so there's a couple things that you've probably heard throughout this series. We've talked about authentic manhood for the guys and find your people for the gals. And so if you thought like, oh, I missed it. And so, you know, maybe next time around, there's actually a few weeks left of each one of these. And each one is, is kind of standalone. So every week we've had a couple new guys, a couple new gals uh, walking in and showing up. And we would love to have you if that's a place where you'd, you know, like David, like Joe, like Colin, you know, would love to start showing up and just asking some questions. So neither of them meet this week because the guys are Sunday night and most guys are going to be busy tonight uh, and Monday morning and the gals are Wednesday. So not this week, but you can check the details online uh, for next week if you'd like to be a part of that. Another thing that Colin mentioned is serving together. Like one of the fastest ways I got to know people at Horizon was just by volunteering with them at a place like City Gospel. Or this Thursday night, uh, the women have a back-to-back -back serving event where they're going to be assembling kits of stuff that goes to meet the needs of communities and families right here in Cincinnati. And so if you'd like to uh, jump in on either of those things, there's more details uh, in the program. And the other thing I want to let you know, as you start to talk about things like getting to be friends with Jesus... Well, like, how do I do that when I can't just talk to them the way the disciples could? And so one other thing that we've got for you this week is actually in the program, uh, there is a QR code 
which if you scan that will take you directly to a PDF of this booklet called Honest to God, A Pathway to Prayer. Uh, we also have a few hard copies of this in the hearth room, which is the third door on the left as you head out. But essentially what this is, is just a few short sections, some scripture and some questions to help you begin to understand, hey, what does it look like to just talk to God about my own life, to, to get to know him about asking questions about his word and how that relates to me. And so if any of those would be helpful to you, that's the kind of stuff we want to be able to have to share as a community as we are connecting to God and connecting with one another. Because maybe you know Joe, maybe you know Colin, maybe you have your own friends that you're connecting with, but we need those deep relationships. And I think when you go back to that truth that Jesus was speaking, I want to show you this one more time. Because when he says that greater love has no one than this, notice how his commandment is framed. It's not just love one another, but it's love one another as I have loved you. You see, this is what makes Christianity unique among the world religions. You know, in every other space, it's like, here's a list of rules, and now what do I do to reach up to God, and hopefully I get there? And often, even in Christianity, we can trip into that mindset that like, God dropped the rules on the ground, disappeared, and now I've got to do the best I can. And hopefully when I die, if heaven and hell are real, I'll get to the pearly gates. And he says, ah, close enough, and lets me in, right? What a terrifying thought. I mean, what a terrifying thought to not know until you die if that all turns out to be how it goes. And if I was, did I do enough good to outweigh my bad? You see, the Bible is presenting a different picture. Jesus says, I have loved you that we can learn to love from the way he has loved us. Well, so, so how has he loved us? You see, this is at the real core of the Bible's message. Ultimately, the Bible is not saying that we are bad people who need to be made good. It's not really saying that we're good people who could be a little bit better. Or that, hey, life is what it is, but if you'd like life to be a little easier, God does have some uh, peace, joy, and love, if, if you want. Tweak it a little bit. Right, the message of the Bible is that we are dead people who need to be made alive. Right, the message is that when you hear these, these big Bible words like sin, iniquity, transgression, those are all words that describe how we have failed God's perfect standard. That it's not just the stuff that like, I mean, even if you wanted to disagree with the Bible as you're exploring this on which things should count and which things shouldn't and if you agree with God on this, that, or the other thing, like all of us know, I've lied before and I shouldn't have, right? I've been greedy before and I shouldn't have. Like we don't live up to our own standard, let alone God's. And the picture that the Bible presents for us is that because God is so perfect and so holy and so good, any of that hurt, habit, regret, hang-up, falsehood, Sin, iniquity, transgression in me, it separates us from God. It disconnects the relationship. And because God is good, he has to deal with that stuff. And so the picture is that God is going to destroy evil, but evil's not out there. If I'm honest with myself, it's in here. Which means I'm going to get destroyed with it. Unless God makes a way to remove all of that from me. You see, that's why Jesus was willing to lay down his life. When he went to the cross, it was to take the punishment that all of our mistakes 
the ones we do on accident and the ones we do on purpose, deserved. That he paid a penalty for us. He paid a price for us so we could be reconnected to God. In fact, I love one of the ways that it describes this in the Old Testament. In a book called Psalm, which is essentially a, connect, a collection of poems and songs. In the 103rd Psalm, it says, as far as east is from west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. Everything I've ever done wrong, he's removed as far as east is from west. And I heard it explained this way one time, because like, yeah, he, he pulled it away. He removed it, right? That's good. But what if he said north from south? Well, think about if you started at the South Pole and began walking north, how far is it until you're actually walking south? Well, it's only about 12,500 miles, which that is pretty far. But if we're talking about all of my worst mistakes, I'd like them to be removed a little bit farther than 12,000 miles. But he didn't say north and south. Now think about how far would you have to walk east before you're eventually walking west? You never get there. You see, Jesus is saying, I didn't just remove it really far away. When you trust him as your forgiver, he removes it infinitely, completely and permanently. Total forgiveness from everything we've ever done wrong. That is the main message of the Bible. That is how Jesus loves. See, the picture that he's painting for us is that when we learn that from him, then we can love like the friend who laid down his life for you. That Jesus is actually the picture of what this looks like. Right? That God is looking at us and saying, I'm willing not only to teach you that, to tell you to do that, I did that for you. And so then you start to think about how this applies. It means I'm willing to forgive when someone seems unforgivable because that's what my friend Jesus did for me. I'm willing to love when someone seems unlovable. You ever had that moment? I, I have that moment sometimes where I'm like, and my wife is like, but you need to love them. And I'm like, you're making it worse. <laughs> but you're right. And one of the most clear thoughts that comes through is like, Jesus, you did that for me. Well, how could I not offer that to them? Would you help me love them when they seem unlovable? Because that's what my friend Jesus did for me. To give up my preferences, to give up my comfort, to love someone else. To love like the friend who laid down his life for you. I mentioned real briefly earlier, my friend Carl, like when I hear that Toy Story song, that kind of stuff, like that's the kind of friend that I think about. I've known him since seventh grade. You know, he's, he's one of those friends, like you've been friends long enough, you've seen all the good stuff, all the stupid stuff, you had the fist fights and you made it through. And he's one of the most generous people I've ever known, one of the most helpful people I've ever known. And like when our minivan broke down on the side of the road, we blew out a tire and like I'm trying to take care of this, but I'm trying to take care of my family. It's Carl who shows up in his minivan <laughs> and took my family, took care of my wife, took care of my kids while I figured out what I needed to figure out. Like it's, I just knew right then I can call Carl. And one of the things that I've thought multiple times in my life is like, I want to be more like Carl. I want to be that generous. I want to be that helpful. I want to be that caring. And I realized I want to be like Carl because Carl is trying to be like Jesus. Carl's friends with Jesus too. 
and that that's where he gets his model from, that that's the kind of friendship that's being painted for us. And so I think if Jesus was going to pull this passage out from the day that he actually went to the cross and hand it to you today, what he's inviting you to is to build a friendship with Jesus. That's what he wants for you. And I know that like sitting here, watching this online, like when I say that, it, it still feels like with you all. Well, yes, with you all, but also with you individually. With just you. And you. And you. And if we stay here till the Super Bowl starts, I can go around the room. <laughs> we can do eye contact on every single person. It's true. With you. Jesus wants to build that friendship. And so for some of us, you know, there are the social butterflies who maybe they feel like they have 40 friends, you know. And there are others of us who it's like, man, if I, if I just have one good friend, like that's so good for my life. But I would encourage all of us, as you're building friendship with other people, explore what it means to build a friendship with Jesus. You know, I'd love to just lead you in a prayer as we finish this morning because maybe you're sitting there and thinking, hey, I, I want that friendship. I've been thinking about it. I've been coming to Horizon. I've, I've sat through this series. I've looked at these things. Well, maybe you just even want to take this moment right now. We'll, we'll close our eyes. You can just talk to Jesus. And maybe you just want to use words like this. Jesus, thank you for being my friend. Thank you for laying your life down for me. Thank you for forgiving all of my hurts, my habits, my regrets, and my sin. I want to be your friend too. In Jesus' name, amen.